Hey, what's up, y'all? This is Will at ScheduleFly, and this is a very unique, special episode. Back in December, we were very fortunate to be able to host or help co-host a event at Crawford & Son in Raleigh, North Carolina. It was hosted by Scott Crawford and Steve Palmer. Steve Palmer owns Indigo Road Group out of Charleston, they have 20-some-odd restaurants around the southeast. And, of course, Scott owns Crawford & Son and, and the neighboring restaurant, Jolie. Both of these gentlemen, um, uh, many years ago, uh, on their own time frame, decided to um, begin a sober lifestyle. And uh, recently, a few years ago, they lost a good friend named Ben, um, to substance abuse and he took his own life and Steve and a couple of other folks started an organization called Ben's Friends and uh, Scott is on the board with Ben's Friends and Ben's Friends is opening chapters around the country and it's been very very successful as a not-for-profit organization that's trying to help promote sobriety within the hospitality business so these two gentlemen, as well as two of Scott's employees who are also sober, uh, spent over an hour, I believe close to an hour and a half, in front of an audience of 30-some-odd people at Crawford & Son, uh, sharing their stories and very candidly, uh, in a just raw, open, transparent way, shared their stories and the struggles they had with addiction and what they did about it and what it means to the industry and what it means to them personally and what it means to their their businesses and their uh, em fellow em their employees. And it's just a phenomenal conversation addressing such an important topic, uh, particularly in this industry, in hospitality, where substance abuse is, is very rampant. And Steve and Scott are well-known, well-regarded, successful leaders in their industry. And it's wonderful to see them being very open and sharing um, so openly about the issues they had and what they've done with their lives since they went sober and how they're trying to help promote a sober lifestyle to people that are struggling with addiction and who've had problems with it and need help. It's a wonderful thing to see with Ben's friends. It's great to hear this. We're very, very thankful that we had this opportunity. It was very fortunate to be able to do this. And this is a massively important topic, and we're really thrilled to present this episode. So thank you all for listening, and uh, more coming soon. Take care. Addiction was just part of the accepted, this is just the way it is in our business. I got sober 18 years ago, so just a little bit before Scott. And Scott and I have talked a lot about the loneliness of early sobriety in our business not because uh, the, the industry necessarily shunned us, but because they didn't know what to say. You know, if 100 people are getting drunk and one person finally says, I can't get drunk anymore, you don't feel, there's no malice towards that person, but you just don't really know what to say. Um, I can remember going to a restaurant opening, which are always festive occur occurrences, uh, in Charleston when I was one week out of rehab, which I absolutely don't recommend. Um, because, and it was like, you know, you remember the needle, the metaphor of the needle scratching across the record, everybody stopped 
and they kind of looked at me and then it was like their cocktail in their hand and they're like, does this make you uncomfortable? And I'm like, well, now that you're saying something, <laughs> it makes me really, you know, and, and so our industry just didn't know how to respond. Um, and, and I think that what's happened, um, there's a confluence of things that have happened. I think the opioid crisis, right? So like we have chefs in Charleston, we had during the wine and food festival four years ago, three chefs under the age of 35 overdose on heroin that weekend, and there was not one mention in the press. Now, full disclosure, some of that was the families didn't want mention in the press, because there's so much shame around addiction, right? We just, like, we don't want to talk about it. Um, I think the, but, but, you know, three chefs under the age of 35, gone. And, and when I was drinking and doing drugs, the opioids were not prevalent in the, culture, but I think, you know, people are dying at a much earlier age. I think Anthony Bourdain, that suicide, you know, we, we had started Ben's Friends about a year earlier. Scott was leading a chapter, is leading a chapter. We had a couple chapters, and then that happened, and now we're in 11 cities, about to be in 15 cities, and it was like overnight, the Wall Street Journal starts calling, the New York Times wants to talk, and, and, and he, I think, Scott would probably agree, you know, I don't know what kind of chef he was in terms of his cooking ability, but he was a voice for a lot of young chefs. A lot of, I don't think I fully realized it until after he was gone, how many chefs really looked to him to articulate what it felt like to be a chef. The long hours, the, the struggle, the stress, the, all of the things. Um, but it was almost like overnight, Ben's friends sort of moved to the forefront. And, and um, before we kind of get conversational, uh, just a quick piece. So one of the things in, in the book that I wrote, and, and this, I'm going to talk about the book for a couple minutes, but this really isn't about let me promote. I mean, you're all, you all paid for a book, so you're all getting a book. But it's not about, it's more about a conversation on mental health than it is my book. But um, the thing about, um, I wrote about when we were opening so, so I say that the restaurant business saved my life twice. I think Scott would agree with that sentiment that we were both terribly broken childhoods, terribly broken homes, um, already addicted to drugs. I was addicted to drugs by 12 years old. Um, but we found the restaurant business and it was at least a place where we were accepted and loved and, and we could do well. You don't need a lot, you know, and I think in a very positive way I always say the restaurant business, it doesn't matter what your background is, where you're from, as long as you work hard and you're a part of a team, you're, you're gonna be accepted. And that's I, that's, I still, I like get very emotional. I love our business, I love restaurants. Um, but it was the first place that I ever felt that sort of like, come as you are, we accept you as you are. Now part of that meant we accept you going out and drinking and drugging seven nights a week. We celebrate that um, and you're welcome. Um, the second time that the restaurant industry saved my life is, is an intervention where I went to work at the restaurant that I was running and the owner said, you have a choice. You can either go to rehab or you can clean out your office and you're gonna decide this second. The chef that was in the office I had been doing cocaine with the, pri the week prior. So you can imagine how I felt about him telling me I needed to go to rehab. Um, but for whatever reason I went and uh, I had no idea that if, I really didn't think you could stay sober in the restaurant business. I didn't know anybody. 
Um, okay. Um, so, I'm so, you know, and, but that was 2001, and I'm so grateful that for what, whatever, why we, I don't know why we're here tonight. Okay. Scott was building this restaurant, and so he was between restaurants. So one of the wonderful things about our industry is when somebody needs something, we just jump in. Some of you may have, some of you may be involved in fundraising in Raleigh, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. You come to the chef community to raise money for cancer, leukemia, Alzheimer's. It's always the chefs that jump in and help raise money for the local communities. The same is true when another restaurateur needs help. So we were building a restaurant in Florence, South Carolina. We were short-staffed, and I said, Scott, can you come help? And that's where we both worked with Ben Murray, who Ben's friends is named after. Um, the words depressed in Ben would never be two words you would put together. Uh, he reminded me of Dean Martin with the Rack Pack. He always kind of had this funny little wit about him and was always laughing and always telling a joke. Uh, we worked for six weeks, night and day. I never saw him take a drink. I didn't even know he was struggling. Uh, there were two other chefs that were sober in the kitchen during this time. And what I would later find out, uh, and, and so Ben stopped coming to work and was staying in the hotel room. We put him in and he committed suicide. He shot himself and we didn't even know he was struggling. We didn't even know, and, and as I called his 80-year-old mother to have that conversation, you know, it, he had been in detox six times, and he was trying to grasp this thing. And I was so struck with, there were three chefs in the kitchen with five or more years of sobriety that would have dropped everything if Ben would have just said, can you help me? I, I can't seem to grasp. Where, what, what this is, and um, that's why we started Ben's Friends, because I, I, I didn't know whether it was just our societal norm where we don't ask for help, or whether it was the cultural norm of the restaurant industry where we definitely don't ask for help. Um, we're macho, especially in the kitchen. We're tatted up, we're pretty, we do all these things. And <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm always, I always call him the pretty chef. Um, but, but you know, we, we have this culture of like work hard, play hard, and people are dying, and we're not asking for help. And so we started Ben's Friends, and, and that's why we're here tonight. Not, you know, I say this all the time. I, I have 20-something restaurants. We sell alcohol every night. I'm not anti-alcohol. Alcohol wasn't, isn't bad. It was bad for me. I have the disease of addiction. Uh, and I know that Scott would agree. It's the only disease that tells you you don't have a disease. Right? Cancer patients are not walking around saying, I don't have cancer. But there are millions of alcoholics that are walking around saying, I'm fine, I don't have a problem. And industry, in terms of the restaurant industry, we double the national average of people in the workforce that are addicted to drugs and alcohol. So that's why we're here tonight. It's a heavy subject, but hopefully it's a hopeful one. Hopefully there's a little bit of humor in it. If you heard some of our stories, you'd think they're pretty darn funny, because I do. <laughs> but I'm grateful to have this voice. I'm grateful to have this moment. Mostly what I'm grateful for, um, I'm not an author. I wrote a book about my life. I don't, is it a good book? Is it, I don't know. You know, people are like, well, are you happy with the book? I'm like, I don't know. I wrote about my life. Um, I was in Ben's Friends in Charleston today, and there was somebody who's 22 years old who was addicted to heroin celebrating one year of sobriety. And he said, I knew what to do because I came to Ben's friends. And that's what we're trying to do. 
We're not saying we're, we're, we are the solution. We're a one hour a week support group. One hour a week is not gonna fix you. Uh, we're not saying we're trying to replace anything, but it's a landing pad for people in our business that feel safe when they walk in because it's bartenders and line cooks and, and they feel safe, they feel okay. Um, and it has become, I will say this, and then I'm really I'm gonna shut up. Um, it, it, is, it is amazing to own a successful restaurant company after a 35 year career. The privilege of my life and the purpose of my life is helping other people get sober and there's, it, it has taken on a meaning so I can't tell you how grateful I am for you. Mostly I'm grateful to have friendships like this and, and grateful to everybody that's interested in having the conversation so I'm gonna shut up now and let y'all talk. <laughs> well, I'll introduce, awesome. <clears throat> I'll introduce our panel. Um, Will traveled here to, to moderate, and I was recently on his podcast. We talked about Ben's friends, and uh, I found it to be an incredible conversation. So thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, these two gentlemen I met at Ben's friends, and they both now work for me, uh, with me at Crawford Hospitality in one capacity or another. Thomas is a server at uh, Jolie next door. And Zach is our beverage manager here at Crawford & Sons, so he's actually behind the bar making drinks every night and is sober. And I met both of these gentlemen here at Ben's Friends and uh, later work, began working together. So I thought their perspective would be, uh, would be great this evening. So thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you. So I'll thank turn you. it over to you, Will. Thanks, Scott. Th uh, thank you all for being here. Let me ask you this. Are we good on camera? Or sh This is typical, bro. We're like spaced out. Do we need to? We're good? Okay, cool. Sounds good and everything? All right. Wow. This is really awesome. Uh, I mean, Scott and I had this podcast a couple months ago, and we were talking about that, and we were like, well, if we, you know, wouldn't it be neat to have an event or something? And uh, <laughs> This is really cool. So thank you all for being here, and um, thanks for having the interest in the topic. Uh, these two gentlemen I got to speak with briefly, and one of the things I found is that um, y'all are in uh, Thomas and Zach, um, you two and, and you gentlemen here, I know you probably don't look at yourself this way, but I think you're very brave. I mean, you, it's hard to be vulnerable, I think. It's hard to be vulnerable with um, issues like you face, like all of you have, and here you are sitting in front of a room full of people that you may know some or barely any of them. Um, so that's a big thing to do. So thank you for doing that. Um, tell me a little bit, I, I guess, Steve, you, know, you, you wrote this book, you started Ben's Friends a few years ago, you're now gonna be in 14 cities and that's growing quickly. Um, I'm curious, you know, you've made a big commitment and you're really helping a lot of people. How are you, how are you managing growing your business, which is growing really quickly and growing Ben's friends, which is growing really quickly? And um, where are you with that? And where do you, where do you think you'll, you'll need to take it? Oh, I work with really good people that are much smarter than me, I think is the best way to put that. Um, I, I co-founded Ben's friends with a gentleman named Mickey Bass to is as Scott has a, a big relationship with, Mickey's carrying a lot of the day-to-day -day weight for Ben's friends right now. I do more of the speaking kind of side of things. Um, you know, listen, I, I built a restaurant company on the idea that if I created a better employment experience 
then I would get better people. Um, it seems to be working. Um, and so we've, we've had the fortune of being able to take our best people and give them more, more income, more compensation, more. Um, one of the things, and I know Scott feels this way, our industry is traditionally a fairly low compensation ceiling unless you're an owner, unless you're, and then if you are an owner, then you get to be millions of dollars in debt first and hopefully that, you know, hopefully it's gonna work out at some point. Um, but, but our compensation ceiling's fairly low. I didn't grow up working in a big restaurant group. I had kind of judgments about that. The biggest benefit that, that having, being able to grow like this has been able to be able to create opportunities for other people. 70% of our executives are women earning over $100,000 a year. That's cool. So I'm not managing the growth of the business. A lot of other people, I'm just on both sides, on both the Ben's front side and the Indigo Road side, um, I'm one person in a effort of a lot of, a lot of people. One of the things that I listened to you on a different podcast and you all, you were talking about Ben, um, you know, and the idea that he didn't, I mean, he had you two and he had a couple other folks that would have helped him, but there was shame associated with this. He had relapsed multiple times. Six it? times. Okay. So, and you can relate to why there would be a lot of shame, I guess, attached to that, but is, is that becoming less and less the kind I mean, I know that's, you know, and that's been a tough thing for the industry in the past, and it still is, but through Ben's friends, through this conversation, I mean, you guys are a little bit younger than the three of us old-timers here. Is it, is there more support in your age group, if you will, now for folks that are coming out and, and saying, you know, I've got this issue and I need to address it, and is there shame attached to it, or do you feel like it's, it's a, there's an easy platform for you to engage with your coworkers Can and your peers? I'm going to comment on that if it's okay, and then I'd like to. Yeah. I would definitely like to hear your perspective. But you know, I was having a conversation recently with someone about <clears throat> when I first got sober, and I can tell you that uh, I was I was never scared to go into a bad neighborhood at three o'clock in the morning to buy drugs from a stranger who could just as easily kill me and take my money as give me drugs in exchange for them. I had no fear of that ever for for 20 years but I was terrified to walk into my first AA meeting. Like a little kid, I was shaking in the parking lot. I just wanted to run away. So that shame is real. Let me tell you how real and powerful that is. And the whole reason that I got involved in speaking publicly about my story was to rid our industry or rid this, this rid us of this shame. Just do what I can do to, to shed the shame of this situation because it kills people. Shame kills people. And I don't know why it was so terrifying for me. I've learned along the way why it was so terrifying for me, but I think as this conversation grows, if we can make it less terrifying, had there been a Ben's friends, it would have been less terrifying, I think. Other people in my industry uh, but I'll share later what happened when I was honest with people in my industry. But uh, I don't know. What do you guys think? How is it now? Uh, I have not been to a single AA meeting in my entire life. Uh, I simply just talk to folks at Ben's Friends, and it seems to work for me. Um, 
so the, the setup that we have here in Raleigh is that it's essentially a round table of folks that talk about issues that they're having with their sobriety on a weekly basis. There tends to be a topic that we bring up that we try to, I guess, circle back to eventually, but, uh, but honestly, I, I don't know if I'd be able to maintain my sobriety if it wasn't for a group of like-minded peers, especially in my industry, to be able to know that I'm not the only crazy person in Raleigh with. So. And you've been since, was it almost two years, right? Yeah, yeah about a year and 10 months. But you, your story was a little bit different, I think, than a lot of the stories, which might be, and we'll talk to Thomas too, that you know you didn't have as much of a rock bottom type thing as just that you, you, you recognize that there was an issue. You had more of a pro, proactive approach, if you will, yeah. rec recognizing something and not letting it get to where it could get. For sure. Um, I started to, uh, I considered the topic of sobriety um, just for three main reasons. I wanted to have more money, I wanted to lose weight, and I wanted to gain some sort of mental clarity. And, uh, and when I gained all those things, I started recognizing the more important reasons that I didn't even consider, like quality time with my family. I mean, that's crucial. Um, the other, it, yeah, it's, we describe it often and the best kind of analogy that I've heard around the table is your life just goes from black and white to color. You notice different things hmm. that have always been there and you're able to actually appreciate and notice. I'll say this, you have a precious, precious son. How, Owen, is he oh, three? Yeah, yeah he was here earlier when, when Zach was setting up and Owen was running around, I mean, golly. Yeah. Congrats. Thank what, you. I mean, they're awesome. So that's great. Yeah. So you're able to really enjoy. I mean, that's been what, so most of his life then. You, yeah. yeah. He's about to turn four on Christmas Eve. Sucks for him a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Tell us about yourself. Uh, so as far as shame goes, you know, I've had um, some really good examples of, of good people who um, seem fairly successful in life and business. And, um, you know, it's kept me from being really ashamed of anything you know a lot of people in my life are in recovery and um, you know certainly no shame there but I, I find that anybody from the past or present um, is certainly just happy to see me doing well um, it got it got really bad out there and um, I think um, everybody's just, just happy to, to see that, you know things going well yeah do you, do you think uh, I mean was it did you fall into this because you were in this industry, do you think? Or do you think you would have fallen into it some other way? I think probably some other way. I've actually been really fortunate in the restaurant industry. There was you know, plenty of the classic partying and all that. Um, but I was, I was at some pretty focused places and it was, it was a pretty professional environment. Um, unfortunately, I, f I found other means outside of the restaurant business to really kind of develop my addiction. And uh, you know, it, it became as much a way of um, continuing to perform at a high level all the time. Um, I, that was kind of the pressure for me. And uh, it just got to a point where, um, you know, after many years of, of things going, you know, getting slightly better and better jobs, I had finally gotten to the point where I was basically unemployable. Um, and, you know, I went to a, a local organization here in Raleigh called Healing Transitions. and. Spent a year there, and uh, it was uh, it was a lot of things, but it absolutely saved my life. And during that time, I went to Ben's friends, and um, it was just a, a really great way to find more shared experience with people who, you know, knew what it was like to 
wait tables and bartend and cook and um, and deal with those stresses on top of trying to be sober. This industry, I just find it fascinating that what y'all do every day, you're on your feet, you're working hard, you're putting out, fi- I mean, literal fires and, you know, metaphorical fires constantly, uh, particularly as owners, you have a billion things that you're trying to navigate every day, um, long hours, late hours, and then, of course, you know, not any of y'all, but, you know, sometimes guests that are, you know, tough to deal with. or I mean, you've just got so many stresses. So, And then you end your day, and I would want to blow off steam somehow, and you have this liquor cabinet right here. So, I mean, it's a hard – it's got to be a very uh, – it's very natural to the industry. I can see why. Um, were y'all able to hide it? <laughs> I thought I was good at hiding it. thought nobody knew. Yeah. So I'll share then what happened, and that'll probably answer that question. What happened to me when I got sober? The week I decided I had enough because I was, uh, I had lost control. I had lost control for a long time. I had no more control over my addiction, and it was just a matter of time. And so you knew that. I knew, and I knew I was going to die because I recently had a uh, diagnosis of uh, type 1 diabetes at age 30 and it was really I think a direct result of my body attacking itself and that's a whole nother story but I didn't it wasn't enough to get me sober I was I was still drinking and and using every day and my brother intervened and 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 called me and said you know I just know I'm I just know you're gonna die and uh, so I knew he was right so I, I had to walk into a meeting. I just there was, I didn't know anyone in the industry who was sober. In fact, that very week I had a very important, I think at the time also, I, I'm pretty sure I was the youngest Forbes five-star chef in the country. So I, I, I had this big job and we had a huge wine tasting that week for a big dinner. And the, the, the drill for that was to go into the wine cellar with the sommelier and, and my maitre d' and just drink, you know, wine until, you know, we couldn't drink wine anymore. And then afterward, they would go home and go to bed, and I would go get liquor and cocaine and stay up for three days because that's just what I did. And they were normal, and I wasn't. And I was struggling because I had this wine tasting, and I went to this AA meeting and I took the steps and I was freaking out and I'm going through detox, I'm physically addicted to drugs and alcohol and I'm not getting medical attention and and I walked into work one day and I sat down with my sommelier and my maitre d' and I said, hey, I'm struggling, right? I can't come to this wine tasting. And uh, I get emotional because they looked at me and they said, we know, and we're glad you're getting help, and we'll be your palate for you, and, and we can do this. And that was the big thing I was scared of. That was the big hurdle for me, right? But my own industry was saying, hey, we got you. We know that you need help. You're getting help. That's great. And that's how we did it for the next two years. They were my palate until many, many years later, I was able to put wine in my mouth and spit it out, but I couldn't for a very, very long time. And they helped me visualize and taste those 
wines without ever having to put them in my mouth. They were there for me, and they and mm. I was so scared that they wouldn't accept me. But that's the beauty of this industry, and that's what you talk about in the book. And similar thing happened to Steve. Uh, and after that, you know, it was just such this huge relief that. And I said, "You knew," and they said, "Yeah, we knew. We all Everyone knew. knows, <laughs> you know." <laughs> okay, so you couldn't hide it. Is he? All right. I thought because it was vodka, nobody could smell it, right? <laughs> and I was doing the cocaine in the wine cellar, so yeah, everybody knew. Everybody knew. Um, how about y'all? Uh, everybody, nobody knew until they did. Until they did. Yeah, and yeah. then they definitely And knew. you were unemployable, you said. Uh, yeah, I mean, towards the very, very end. But there were... I mean, there were years of this slow progression where you know, my behavior just became more erratic over time. And, um, yeah, it, it, it was a lot more obvious to a lot more people than I realized at the time. Um, okay, so 18 years sober, 15 years sober, a couple years in... Year and a half, okay. I mean, I, do you do you still worry about relapsing? Absolutely. Um, you know, look, I, I I feel like I have my back to half y'all. Sorry. Um, I'm not cured, and that's the thing. And and uh, I have a disease that tells me I don't have a disease. And so you know that that's, <clears throat> and that could sound depressing to some people. Um, but look, we all want to be better versions of ourselves, hopefully, right? No matter what, whether it's addiction or some other thing. Um, there are people, I've met someone recently, 16 years sober, and he drank again. And, and on the outside, you would go, how in the world could somebody do that? Um, I have a disease that tells me I don't have a disease. I have a disease that tells me it won't be that bad again. You know better now. You know, I was an advanced level sommelier working on my master. I had a 1,200 bottle wine cellar at home. Every now and then when I see a Grand Cru Burgundy going out, I'm like, damn, I bet that would be good, <laughs> you know? Never do I think like, for me, and I, it's different for everybody, I don't ever think I could manage it again. Well, that was already, my next question, I mean. And, and Scott has already told me that he has a baseball bat in the truck, and if I ever drink again, he's gonna come <laughs> find me and break my legs. But. Um, no, no, I think about it all the time. I'm yeah. not cured. Um, I have, you know, I'm not cured. Yes, I think about relapse a lot. Robin Williams relapsed after 30 years, so it's baffling and cunning, you know, it's, it's the craziest thing. Um, but that's why Ben's Friends is so important in my life. I uh, was heavily involved in uh, AA and NA early in my recovery. I'm not as involved now. I'm more involved with Ben's friends, but just being involved in giving back, it's part of my continued recovery and it's part of, uh, you know, what, what I call maintenance. So without that, I am definitely at risk for relapse. And still there's a transitional issue with me to transition from the high of a dinner service to civilian life. Um, it's almost like a rock star getting off of a stage and then just trying to walk around be normal. It's just, we're just not normal. <laughs> we are definitely not you know? normal. Do you think so it's a, there's we're that. special. We talked a little bit about this and, and I don't think this is always the case. Thomas and I talked about this some earlier, but do you have, I know you do, we talked about this and Steve, maybe, 
do you, is it an addictive personality? Is, Didn't is that, hear I mean, the number of restaurants I have, right? <laughs> yeah, clearly you have some issues. I've never wanted one of anything in my now, life. Now, now, <laughs> <laughs> not one potato chip, not one scoop of ice cream, not one restaurant. So it's going into things just full throttle. Like if you're going to do it, just freaking all, get all after or, it. All or nothing. Yeah. I, reckon, nothing. I recognized that at, a, at age 11. Okay. I took my first drink at yeah. 11. Me too. Same way. I immediately 11. loved it. And other kids did not, and I did. And I loved the way it burned. And I... The first time I ever tried cocaine, I said out loud, this is going to be a problem. <laughs> I said it out loud instantly <laughs> to my friend. He remembers. It, it's, yeah, God. I'm programmed that way for sure. And I mean, if you look back, you know, my family could have given me a little bit of a heads up on the, you know, the, the grandfather, the great grandfather, the uncles, the, all the alcoholics in my family. I just, I never got a heads up on that. What do you then now... How do you channel that addiction now? I mean, is part of it being, I know this may sound silly, but is part of it being addicted to being sober? I mean, you know, in other words, you're, you're sober, you're going out at full speed ahead, or how do you channel that need to take the angst and whatever you have and use, you know, some other mechanism to do that? 50 Ben's friends. Yeah. I mean, at, at Two Cities, Mickey, our co-founder, who he is the end of my yang, right? He runs one restaurant. Everything, his first thought is, why is this, why, how is this going to go wrong? Where I'm always like, everything's always going to go right. Yeah. Um, he said, well, we need to decide what Ben's Friends is going to be. And I said, 50 states. So that's how. It's amazing. People are always like, how do you do what you do? I'm like, uh, when you sober up an alcoholic, we're very productive people. You get a lot done. I mean, I get up at 5 in the morning and I'm not hungover. I mean, yeah, I got yeah. a lot of energy, you know. Yeah, I mean, honestly, we, we become very productive members of society. Maybe, maybe to a little bit of an obsessive level. Maybe a little bit, but right, uh, right, right. Yeah, a little I'm, obsessive, a little OCD, a yeah, little yeah, little, yeah, lots of energy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to try some of these spiritless cocktails. I hear you make a good spiritless cocktail. Uh, tell, talk about those and talk about how that's becoming more prevalent. I mean, we see those on restaurant menus now. Yeah, I think it's, uh, we want to make everybody feel comfortable in a space. Um, also, I found from creating spirit-free cocktails that uh, it's very, very easy to hide behind booze. Um, all you have to do is throw maybe a half ounce of a modifier in there or maybe just throw a spice on top of it. But alcohol is very, it's, it's a canvas that a lot of bartenders uh, work with and when that's removed then you have to start figuring out how to I guess sculpt I don't know um, flavors are really hard to balance just in general so you have to like get re really creative with how to pull tannins in how to dry the palate out um, incorporating salt but also not making it taste like Gatorade at the end of the day uh, <laughs> Yeah, I like spirit-free, not mocktails yeah. as much. Yeah, as mocktail is lame. It's yeah, spirit. It's, it's been mocktail. Is lame. Well, it's like a a the word mock. Yeah, right. Yeah. You're mocking me. Right. <laughs> I love a good mocktail. Yeah. yeah no, the the term spirit-free is a lot better. Um, I love puns as much as everybody else, but it it kind of doesn't really speak to the the craft that is creating drinks in general. Um, What's your favorite spirit-free cocktail to make? Uh, 
Well, we have one on our menu right now that's uh, not sweet in any sense of the word. Uh, has celery mixed with some green tea, um, topped off with an orange zest and some salt. It's fairly dry. Um, served on a big rock, so it looks like an old-fashioned. Take a sip of it and almost tastes like an old-fashioned. Caraway and cedars in there as well. But. Um, they definitely did not have those when I got sober. <laughs> no, it was, you want a virgin pina colada? I mean, it was crap. <laughs> Still order those. And sparkling water, that's it. That was my choice. Yeah. Well, one of the things that's interesting, interesting to me, y'all, is that, and Oscar Diaz is here, and Oscar was on the podcast a few months ago, and we talked the idea of, you know, the restaurant or the hospitality business becoming a career business, not just a stopover. And part of what can help, help you get there is to provide, you know, enough pay and benefits and so forth like that but but also there's the support network and, and the support community like what you're doing with Ben's friends but then also within the four walls of the restaurant the the team environment that you can create the the way that you support each other with your mental health the way you uh, embrace each other's differences and and all the things that come along with that I mean that's a is the industry moves in this direction where you you guys have really been a big part in, in spearheading that that's a big part of this isn't i mean i would imagine that your life is so much more productive and meaningful now over the last 18 months since you decided to make that change you went from you know unemployable to now here you are you know scott thinks very high of you doing very well at jolie and here we are sitting in front of these folks so that's a massive change in your life and and i would imagine there's just so much more that you have to do now. Yeah. Um, I was definitely really afraid and really cautious about coming back to restaurants, honestly. Um, been very grateful to be able to work in a place that is, you know, very professional and um, kind of encourages the things I'm into these days. Uh, I don't know that I could have just gone and, and, you know, and served or worked in a restaurant just anywhere. So it's been, I've been incredibly fortunate to kind of have this opportunity come, come forth. I come from the world of cocktails and cocktail bars that close at like 3, 4 in the morning. So moving into a restaurant was uh, very exciting for me. Uh, it allows you the opportunity to truly practice balance between your work and, I guess, your life outside of work. Um, it's really hard when you go to sleep at 4 in the morning to wake up at 8 and try and keep up with the toddler. And, uh, and not having to worry about that sleep schedule has been kind of a blessing. <coughs> But also, that's you know, the, I think the the vast extreme is is working until three in the morning, being surrounded by nothing but booze. So anything away from that is better. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love what's happening to our industry personally because well, I got into the industry because I was already addicted, and I tell people this all the time. It's the truth. There's only two things I knew how to do, and one of them was super illegal, <laughs> and the other was cook. That's it. I had two options cooking allowed me the lifestyle that I wanted to live or I thought I wanted to live and I could kind of fly under the radar, right? Everybody was kind of wild. But when I got sober, by the way, my, in that first meeting, everyone told me to get out of the industry. Yeah. All of them. You need to get out. You need to, and 
As I was trying to figure out my higher purpose the other day, I think actually that day I knew I learned my purpose but didn't know it until now, and that was to challenge that notion. Because I was just enough of an ass to challenge that notion at, the t at a time when other people were not. Now, if you need to get out of the industry to be sober, then that's what you need to do. But I kind of figured I could do it. I think I can be a chef and do this and be sober. And so by challenging that notion and having these conversations and creating a more professional environment for people to be in, there's no drinking on the job in this building, I can tell you that. But I drank on the job of every job I ever had prior to me having my own company or prior to me being sober. Um, but if we create, and Steve said this before, we need more people in this industry. We're growing. We're, you know, this huge employer in this country, and you don't have to have a college degree to have a career and, and earn a really good living. Uh, but to get more people, we need to become a lot more professional. We need to have a better environment for everyone, and we need to do it. It can't be regulated. You know, we within the industry have to do it. And so this conversation is hopefully just the very beginning. And, and by the way, all of the festivals that we used to go to were a drunk fest. I became very uh, introverted at every festival, food festival that I went to, and I went to all of them. And now they're asking us to have sober after parties at these festivals. The conversation is very, very different than it was even five years ago. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it, the, I think one of the things that I hear that bothers me the most, I'm just doing this until I get a real job. And, and I hear that less now, um, but when we came in, there was no Top Chef, there was no Foodies, there was no Instagram, there was no internet. That's how old Scott and I are, um, and, and sadly. <laughs> um, you know, but, but and, and I was like, well, I've been doing this for 14 hours today. It feels real to me, um, and I loved it. And, and I echo what Scott said. I mean, we're, we're, restaurant openings in the U.S. are up 300%. Attendance at culinary schools is flat. We have a people problem, and we need more people to look at our industry and go, that's where I want to prosper, not, oh my God, the Me Too, Mario Batali, John Bash, I mean, all of the things, I mean, our industry on a lot of fronts has gone through a real reckoning, which I, Scott says it all the time, I want to leave this industry better than I found it. And that has become my purpose, um, you know, and we're doing things, we're, we have a home loan buying program where we'll give our employees the, home, the, the down payment on their home for free interest, we make no money on it. We're paying for culinary tuition. So we've got all these opportunities as employers to do better. And it's not just, you can't just, I'm gonna pay you more because the rent's not going down, the cost of food is not, so it's not just about, we're just gonna, everybody's gonna make more money, but it's how do I treat, how do we make it um, a place where people wanna stay? And, and that is tangible and it's also emotional. Right, every employment book in the world says people leave managers or leaders, they don't leave jobs. And so the more professional and whole we are, we're non-drinking in 24 restaurants. There are no shift drinks, there are no, we just don't do it. And 
now we're doing yoga classes and meditation classes. <laughs> and, and, and people are, and, and by the way, the staff is asking for it. It's not us giving it to them. They're asking it of us. And I think that's great. There was definitely none of that when I was coming. <laughs> no yoga happening. No, none. The, the most impactful thing we can do, I think, is just teach people how to handle stress better yeah. and not to go to drugs and alcohol because all of my mentors were the same as, as I was. They worked very hard and they partied very hard. And that's just what we did. And it was understood and it was encouraged and it was who can be the toughest. Man, you know, he's tough. I saw him at six o'clock in, in the morning still drinking and he made it here for brunch service. That's really not that cool, you know, but that's how it, that's how it was when I was coming up. So it's also not sustainable. It, not at all. I was hospitalized twice yeah. my final year of drinking and v came very close to dying the second time, very close. I mean, I was shutting down my entire body. They told me I was dying. So it wasn't that cool at all. Um, and lots of people I know have died prematurely uh, so why weren't they teaching us better ways to deal with stress it is a very stressful at the level that I was working and, and Steve also we came up through the Ritz Carlton Hotel Company and that was a high level and it was uh, a life-changing experience also the most abusive work environment I've ever experienced so um, the stress level was unbelievable and what was expected of us was unbelievable. And yet we were not taught ways to deal with that other than using drugs and alcohol. So we need to, as lead, we need to just start by teaching better ways of coping with stress so that it is sustainable. And if, that, if that's yoga, then woohoo, let's do yoga. I think that would have been great if they would have, someone would have taught me about yoga a long time ago. Um, I love this. I love this industry, and I love what y'all are doing, and I love the fact that, look, you, 10 or 15 years, I have three kids, and I would not, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, I, I don't think I really would have wanted them to work in a restaurant because I felt like the risk is too much that, you know, they could get, it's a work hard, play hard kind of thing, and, you know, that's taking a big risk. Um, now, you all are, are really taking this conversation where it needs to go and the industry is moving in the right direction and it can become a career. And when, you know, gosh, I mean, Steve, guys like you that are sober, that are building a business with 20 some odd restaurants now, that creates so many opportunities for people to have jobs, for people to, to grow and then supporting their growth. And I mean, that's a true career. You're getting ready to open your third restaurant right now. That gives opportunities for growth. And now I look at it, and as I said, I have three kids. My daughter's 15. She's probably going to get a summer job this year. Restaurants are a great place because if you can, if you can begin to eliminate that side of the business or at least you know, continue this conversation and make it less and less prevalent, the, the play hard through drugs and alcohol part, well, guess what? what y'all do is incredibly transferable to any other career. I mean, if you can deal with a restaurant and all the things that come along with it, if you can own one or work in one or make cocktails in one and deal with customers and deal with the high amount of stress over a short amount of time, man, that skill set is like, I don't care what you do. I've had multiple different jobs and different careers. I, 
God bless, I couldn't do what y'all do. Um, so I'm saying, you know, it really it enables you to do lots of things. So I think it's an incredibly valuable career. But now what you're, you guys are doing and a lot of your peers are doing is you're building opportunities for folks to come in and say, I learn a lot and I can grow a lot. And I'm and by the way, what I also see from from every and there's several other owners here that I know well, you all support people if they move to do their own thing within your community. And you like the first customer in the door. You know, hey, I'm leaving. I've been here for 10 years. I'm starting my own thing. You're not like, that sucks. You, you probably are sort of, but you're like, I'm, I'm behind you. Can I help finance you? What can I do? I'll be there. I'll spread, you know, like you are a very nurturing, caring group of people, uh, generally speaking. You take care of all these people all the time. And what you're learning to do, I think, is, is focus on taking care of yourself. Because when you do and you're sober, then you know, you're able to take care of a lot more people a lot better. Just a couple of thoughts on that. <laughs> and, and it's a privilege. I mean, it's a privilege to, I, I had great, men look, I, I was homeless and living in a house in downtown Atlanta sticking a needle in my arm when I was 15 years old. Man. And I'm a partner in 24 restaurants. Yeah. Uh, talk about needing to pay it forward. You know, I mean, this yeah. industry gave me my entire life. And it's a privilege when you find people that are passionate. And here's the great thing about it. I don't need you to have, I need you to be passionate and want to serve other people. And if you've got that, you can succeed in this business. And, and, I know, I know that when you get to our age and you've had whatever success, whatever, I'm not sure exactly what, that means something different for everybody. Um, the, the, the privilege to give it to other people, and for me that's the, the power of hospitality. For Scott it's probably more food, you know, the, his brilliant mind when it comes to cooking food, but not only should I do it, I, I feel like I'm the luckiest guy in the world to yeah. get to pass this business that has been given me everything. I mean, literally everything. Uh, I mean, it's the best part of my life is giving, give it to other people. That's amazing, yeah. It, it, you know, you touched on this. One of the great things about the restaurant business is I can't think of an industry that has more legitimate, uh, genuine meritocracy. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, whether you're on the street sticking a needle in your arm. If you're willing to show up, want to take care of people and work hard, I don't care what degree you have. It, it, it doesn't. It, there, it, it's as diverse and meritocratic as any industry there is. Um, which Socioeconomic is, background, everything. gender identification, none of it All matters. Of Everybody's welcome, and I mean, and that is awesome. That's you know, amazing. I mean, it's I what mean this, it, it's, it really is. I look at some of the challenges, the bigger challenges that our world is having. I think restaurants are some of the most inclusive, the right ones. We have bad examples of everything in our business. The right restaurants are the most inclusive environments. I mean, in this city, you have Van at Bitamanda who's bringing people through immigration, through yeah. legal immigration channels. I mean, I heard him speak in Oxford at, at, in October, and I cried. Yeah. You know, he, I mean, there's, there's these souls in our industry that are doing, want to do nothing but better the lives of the people that work in their restaurants. And, and it's powerful. I mean, it's really powerful. And you all create institutions that make 
the communities, help make the communities that you're in great. I mean, if you all think of great cities, and Oscar and I have talked about this, I mean, you can't think of a great city where you start going, okay, well, why is this city great? And one of the top five things is always going to be, well, they got a lot of great restaurants. You know, is lot, there such thing as a great city without great restaurants? <laughs> I mean, there isn't, right? And, hmm. And it's kind of the last place now where we're, you know, we're dialed into these devices all the time. We're on these screens and we're running around and everything's so fast paced. It's like, where can you go now to just kind of put it down and sit and have a meaningful conversation and listen and learn and be around a diverse group of people? I mean, where else would you do that than, you know, your local restaurant? Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful benefit to the communities you serve, in my opinion. So I, I just, I think what y'all do is amazing. And I... Once again, when you're able to come out and, and talk about this so openly, I mean, imagine the, the variance between the shame you may have felt going to that first meeting, and here you are sharing your pouring, bleeding your soul out to all these people around here for something bigger than yourself. Man, that's, I mean, I think that's amazing. I know you wanted to engage the audience some, so do we want to open for questions or or anybody want to comment or I mean because we have wireless mics or is there anything else y'all wanted to talk about before we do that no I would love it if we could uh, take some questions and and continue the conversation with all of you if you have some Yeah, that's a great okay. question. Actually, so let me do this. Uh, he asked about uh, coping. Uh, what were the coping mechanisms he has? And I, I tell you what, can we, can I hand this, this mic out and just let whoever has? Yeah, I'll just kind of walk around with it. Go ahead and I'll go this to This gentleman asked how I coped when I first got sober because I did cope with the stress um, with drugs and alcohol. It, it was interesting for me when I detoxed, I couldn't sleep for months. I became, I thought it was going to become a chronic, uh, but I, I couldn't sleep more than a couple hours a night for months and finally went back to normal. But how I coped was I, I, uh, I joined an all-night gym. You know these places where they give you the key and you can go in at 2 o'clock in the morning? That's what I did. And I know it sounds silly, but when people at work ask me to go drinking, some of them didn't know yet. You know, I didn't go at that time publicly say I'm getting sober. I, I talked about it to the people that I needed to, t but I, I was still very shy about it. So I would just say, hey, I started working out. And so I can't go to the bar. I'm going to the gym. So one, I wasn't lying anymore because I had always lied about what I was doing uh, to hide my problem. And two, I was getting in the best shape of my life. And three, I would go until I was exhausted and would pass out. So it's something for everyone, whatever it is. I hear this, I get this question quite a bit at Ben's friends, what do I do? Well, for me, it was an all night gym. For you, it can be whatever, you know, whatever it is, do something. Uh, that's my advice. And that was what I did for months at two o'clock in the morning in the gym by myself. I even got trapped under the weights one night, you know, because there was no one else in there. I remember that. <laughs> You know, and you got to throw it. Because you, you had to do so, too much, right? It really happened. That's what I did. Anybody else? Here, I'm going to bring the mic to you so we can hear it. That's okay. 
Is there a real difference between all of you are male in how the female part of your industry deals with this issue and, and how are they part of Ben's Friends? Actually, I think we may at this point have more females in Ben's Friends than, than males. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, everywhere, Charleston, there's a strong female presence and in the meetings we've opened, we just launched Seattle. There were 37 people there and, and more than half were female. So, I mean, it, it's kind of manifests itself the same. I, I don't want to speak for other people, but the recovery process is certainly the same. The expansion of Ben's Friends, how does that work? I mean, do people get in touch with you or do you just, yeah? Uh, so we're, I'm, I'm always stressed, look, we're still figuring it out. We're, we're three years old and, and it's, it's a grassroots movement. Um, so the process as it relates today is we need two people that are sober more than three years and a place to hold the meeting. Um, so not much. Um, and then we fly them to Charleston. Last night we had someone from Louisville, uh, Kansas City, and DC that will all be launching Ben's Friends chapters. So they came in last night. Uh, Mickey, my co-founder, puts them up in the Charleston Place Hotel. Uh, they come to the meeting, and then we'll go out and chair the first meeting with them. Uh, and then there's a various things, you know, Scott has gotten connected with rehabilitation community, you know, then the local chairs really get connected in the different recovery resources in the market. Um, it is an imperfect science, and it's, I mean, it's just really a weekly, it, it's, it's nothing, we're certainly, I know I said it before, but I, I feel like I need to say it again. I don't think that one hour a week is gonna get many people sober. I think it's awesome. Um, but, but, you know, it, it is a bridge. So that camaraderie already exists. You've heard us all talk about the, esprit de corps that exists within a restaurant. Uh, what we're finding, and, and so I'm a Gen Xer, but what I'm hearing from the millennials, you know, there, there's a, uh, a God component to the 12-step community that the younger generation finds off-putting. Um, there's no God component to Ben's friends, so they, find, they feel safe walking in and they know this is my people. Now quickly they're gonna hear, we're glad you're here, let us know when you're ready to get to work because there's a lot more involved than one hour a week. Um, but but it's, it's a very loose process right now and I just, I always feel the need to stress that because you just, we're just finding the Scott Crawfords who will hold the meeting and we're kind of going from there. One thing I've been able to do in this community is make partners um, with people in the, in the recovery world so that I can, if someone walks in to Ben's friends and needs treatment further than what we, all we are is a support group. We're not a program, we're not a uh, addiction, you know, professionals, but I know exactly where to send people in different scenarios if they walk into this meeting. So uh, I think that's important component that we've been working toward in each community. Those are different resources in each community, uh, but if you walk in and you're strung out on heroin, which is a really big thing now, uh, we have a place we can send people, take them get in the car and take them there. Yeah, we've had 911 situations in Charleston and we know, right, I mean, people that have been up for days, people that, I mean, people that need professionals. We are certainly not professionals. Uh, 
finest food, you know, and and I worked as a server for 15 years, and I'm self-employed, and I still work 14, 15 hours a day, six, seven days a week, and the shame, and you know, getting invited to go somewhere, and it's like, oh no, I feel really fat, I don't wanna go. Um, and then you talk about the 12-step programs, and there's OA and everything else, so do you see, you were kind of saying, do you see Ben's friends branching out into other addictions? I mean, there's gambling, there's, there's a ton, you know? Um, I mean, listen, I've never met a pint of Ben and Jerry's I didn't love, and uh, that's, that's a problem. Um, obviously, I don't miss too many meals. We opened a chapter in, in Minnesota that's no longer, it's unfortunately no longer a chapter. Um, they, the topics of the meetings started becoming about sex addiction and gambling addiction, and while I absolutely recognize that those are real addictions that have all of the same shame-based behavior, I, I feel like we wanna stay focused on our mission, which is drugs and alcohol. So I don't see us branching out because, you know, what, we, what I have to offer somebody when they come to Ben's Friends is experience. I don't have any, I don't have a degree and I'm not a clinical psychologist. What I have is my experience. What Scott has is what happened, what he did, and what it's like now. I don't, and while I'm not kidding when I say I have a sweet tooth since I sobered up, I don't have a lot of experience in OA or GA or, and so I think that could be dangerous I want us to stay to our mission of drug and alcohol abuse specific to the restaurant business. You mentioned when you were uh, first discussing Ben Murray and then Scott made an allusion, you said this is a guy no one would have suspected was depressed. Um, and then Scott made an allusion to <clears throat> the stress of working in restaurants and sort of that, the come down, you know, having all of the, the million things that you're doing and then coming out of that experience and like, how do you taper off? How do you, how do you deal with the stress at the end of the night? Most people go out and get a drink. Um, as you're talking about your restaurant group uh, and the various things, yoga and various other things, I spent a long time working in restaurants and you see a lot of people with substance abuse issues but also a lot of people with other mental health issues, depression, anxiety, um, what have you, that lead them into substance abuse. And it, you know, it, the restaurant industry, the ability for people of a lot of different backgrounds to get in there, but also for the fact that you can mask a lot of different behaviors and a lot of different problems without before anybody calls you out on it, you know? Um, but that can lead you down that spiral of alcohol or drugs or, you know, what have you. How does the industry address that? How does the industry address sort of all of the other mental health concerns that can lead people to ending up abusing? Sure, so, so thankfully we're not the only ones having this conversation. Um, Kat Kinsman is a writer for Food and Wine who is a friend of ours. She launched a website called Chefs with Issues, um, and that's a broad mental health. Um, there's a Patrick Mulvaney in California has launched something called I've Got Your Back, 
and it's a kind of a, they actually use post-its that have different color codes within the restaurant. So if you're feeling depressed, you can ha you can ha there's a certain kind of post-it that, um, you know, mental health. And the crazy thing about Ben, right? So I ran in. I was at a different charity event altogether in Atlanta the other night. And his brother-in-law came up to me. I, I don't know Ben's family other than to talk to And he said, you know, and like, so we start crying. And he's telling me that the family three years later still can't talk about it yet. Um, but, but he then shared with me that Ben was bipolar. This is somebody I knew for 20 years. And I've known a lot of bipolar people. Ben did not hit on that spectrum. Um, you know, I, I am grateful that I'm a garden variety drunk. And what I mean is once I got sober, then I'm a fairly well-adjusted. There are mental health issues are real, um, and they extend well beyond that. Thankfully, all of these things are being addressed. I certainly don't feel like I'm uh, qualified to speak on bipolar disorder or anything like that. But um, alcohol masks a lot of that. And, but, but, you know, conversely, one of my best friends is bipolar. Um, and he was on seven different medications and he's been sober two years and he's on no medications mm -hmm. So I also think the reverse can happen that when you get the drugs and alcohol not always sometimes when you get the drugs and alcohol out I I'm just always shocked at the amount of medications people suddenly don't need to be on um, But yeah, no, it's there's there's a there's a lot of issues in the restaurant business not just drugs and alcohol one thing I think that's important too is just to create a culture that it's okay to discuss these things and, and uh, recognize these uh, signs that people might have instead of just considering it part of uh, the work hard, play hard culture. You know, if someone is suffering, I'm here in my restaurants every day. If someone that works for me is suffering, there's a pretty good chance I might recognize that. With the case of Ben, we did not. But just creating that culture is a step that we can take so people feel safe talking about it or coming to us about it. But, uh, you know, it's too bad Ben didn't. I stood beside him just a week before and he was as jovial as, as I would have never thought in a million years. We all talked about how great it was to be sober during that opening. And, and um, so, you know, the mental health issue is something that is going to be a bigger conversation, I think. And but one thing I know, you cannot address bipolar or any mental if you're drinking and drugging every right. single day. So we have to at least start, I mean, you know, you can't address the other things that alcohol and drugs are, are masking, that's for sure. What are the other drugs that are at issue now? I mean, it was back then, it was like alcohol and cocaine or whatever, you, I mean, opioids, fentanyl, is it? The opioid thing is, you know, that's been since I got sober. When I was drinking and drug and heroin was the Vietnam War vets drug that they brought home from Southeast Asia and then yeah. the 80s cocaine hit and heroin kind of went away uh, you know ecstasy MDA I think it's called Molly I don't know I'm old I'm not as relevant with the <laughs> I don't know what the drug names are anymore but I think they're kind of the same but I, I think we all believe Oxycontin is what brought back opioids yeah um, 
you know, people get hurt, they get prescribed these drugs, the drugs run out, and I really believe that's how heroin, I, I, I just, I do. And we see a lot of prescription drug use now that wasn't part of, my generation all had to go to the street to get drugs. We didn't go to the doctor. They wouldn't give us drugs. We tried. <laughs> now they do. And uh, it's an epidemic. So we see a lot more prescription drugs than we used to now, which is, can be even a bigger challenge. Because if a doctor says it's okay, it's okay, right? Till it's not. But it's all, you know, relatively the same. I mean, Oxycontin, I have enjoyed at times, and it's the same as heroin. It's just in a pill form. Um, what is the what is the cocaine in a pill form? What what's the one? Uh, anybody? I know when you buy the generic version of Adderall, it's, that's the one. It's amphetamines. Yeah. Okay. Which is Adderall <laughs> is just cocaine in a pill. So I think we're just seeing a lot more pill form of things. I think the opioid epidemic has made the importance to get help a lot, a lot more serious. I mean, it's alcohol is a, a drug that, you know, your life gets a little bit worse. It can get a lot worse, but um, it takes a long time to drink yourself to death. Um, with the opioids, I, you know, in the past year, I've lost five people I've, I was really close to, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's a lot more serious what's going on out there. Because they are so addictive so quickly, or because of what's on the streets, it's uh, you know it, it takes one time, uh, the wrong amount, the wrong substance, um, and you can end up dead um, before you know it. You, I mean, you could seemingly be doing fine and um, you know have have one slip and, and end up dead. So it's not like going out and doing a little more research and, and having you know going on a bender with alcohol. It's uh, it could be the last time every time. Yeah. Anybody else? Any other questions? Yeah. So I'm coming from the perspective as just a guest, but what's something I can do as a patron to help with your cause? Well, <clears throat> one thing that we've talked a lot about is, is raising money for Ben's friends to expand, because to expand, it costs money. We've been saying for a long time we're going to do, uh, we, haven't we haven't done any fundraisers yet here in Raleigh. So if you're interested in that, that's something that you could participate in. And like most events that we do, we'd make it exciting and fun for the guests, but then the proceeds would go directly to Ben's friends uh, for the expansion into other cities. So I think that's the next thing on our agenda here in Raleigh. So we can get together on that. Uh, I'd love to have you be involved. I, I also um, I'm a big proponent. So I think I mentioned I was the, I was the result of an of an intervention, right? And and whether this is the restaurant industry or outside the four walls, people no one likes to have uncomfortable conversations, right? I mean, we just don't. It's human nature. Um, I say this all the time: have the uncomfortable conversation. And guess what? You may not get the response that you want, but you may be you may plant a seed so that when three people later 
that person's like, everybody's telling me that they're concerned, maybe I need to take a look at this. I, I think that the, the, it's what we don't say around addiction because part of it is, I mean, my, my wife drinks. She, I'm always amazed she has one or two and stops and I look at her like, I just, you don't understand what you're doing, but <laughs> you do not compute. But, but you know, um, you know so, but she has friends that she goes out and drinks with. Some of them have problems. And they're like, she's like, well, I, but I was drinking with them. Yes, honey, but they drank eight glasses of wine to your two. You know, so alcohol especially, it's a social, and again, I'm, we are not anti-alcohol at all. Um, have the difficult conversations. That's what people can do. And, and maybe sometime the difficult conversation is as gentle as, are you okay? I'm worried about you. Um, and that's true within our industry. We, man, in our industry, that's like, it's hard to have that conversation with people. It's really hard, um, but we need to. If, if, if the two people, I mean, they literally saved my life. If they wouldn't have had that intervention, I would be dead. No question. So um, that's what anybody can do is, is have the conversation. Yeah, I would add something as well, whether it's email, whether you're on social media. I mean, this is being filmed. Uh, this is going to be on our podcast take this content and spread it around. I mean, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, this conversation would have basically stayed within these four walls, right? And word of mouth, or whatever. Now there's, you know, levers we can pull to get this word out to lots of people. We'll put this on YouTube and, and uh, these gentlemen will promote it, I'm sure. And, and uh, they can have the video content too. And anybody else that wants, to, you know, take it and use it and do something with it, spread the word. There, this is a great thing that it's starting here, but. Um, you know, we have ways to get that out very easily now, so that's one thing y'all can do as well. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, we have another question. Oh, good. Uh, spread the I word. Love the, I love the interaction. The question I have is, you know, I'm late to the party. Who's Ben? I don't know who Ben is. Oh, uh, Ben, Ben, so Ben Murray worked with us. He was... He was... A, individuals, because, you know, what you guys are addressing is really important because people only had the 12-step program and that whole, you know. So Ben's Friends is a, is a new generation addressing this issue. So, you know, please tell us a little bit more about the founding concept, perhaps? Uh, uh, sure. Um, so, so, um, I, so you just want to know what Ben's Friends is? Is that? I think she was late. She didn't hear the initial. Okay. All right, so, so Ben was a chef that worked for us. Um, he, um, I had known Ben for 20 years. I did an enormous amount of drugs with Ben and then I didn't see Ben for 10 years. Uh, a friend named Gina Berry in Atlanta who's involved in the festival circuit, mutual friend said, hey, Ben has cleaned up his act. He's really good on short-term assignments. If you ever need an extra set of hands, he would be great. We were opening a restaurant, we were short-staffed, and uh, Ben came in, uh, we hired Ben, and he said, yeah, I've cleaned up my act, and I didn't ask any questions. I never saw Ben take a drink. Apparently, he was going home, home to the hotel that we were putting him up in and drinking every single night, and the disappointment of feeling, uh, the last text message I ever had with Ben was he wouldn't open his hotel room, and he was saying, I, knew, I know I've blown it with you, and I didn't even know what, I, I, what do you mean you've blown it with me? I'm just worried about you. Um, 
but Ben, what you know, because I didn't know he'd been in detox six times, he was fighting this demon all by himself. And if he would have just said to somebody, I can't get sober and I'm and I'm I'm ashamed and I'm mad and I'm then hell I would have kicked the door in. Scott and I would have, you know, I mean like we would have done we would have put him on our couch at our house, we would have taken him to twelve step meetings, we would have done anything because that is the code, right? And that is the beautiful code. When I needed help, when I was at my darkest hour, people were there. Countless people who wanted nothing more than to help me. So that is the responsibility that I have. That when people, when that hand gets raised, everything stops. And the heartbreaking thing for me about Ben is that he didn't know that. This guy, I mean, literally working right next to him on the station in the kitchen, if he would have just said, can I talk to you after work? How are you able to stay sober? Because I can't. Everything would have stopped. And we would have all circled around this guy and the, the and I'll get emotional, the love that you see a sober alcoholic extend to another, it's, it is the most powerful thing in the world because they want nothing but to help. Uh, and so when you've been through that, when you've been almost dead, when you've been homeless, and somebody needs that, you'll do anything. So the real, the real heartbreaking thing is that Ben didn't know that. And, and Ben, it was a loving, jovial, fun, he was hilarious. I mean, he was the life of the party. I have a picture of him with the lampshade on. I mean, he was that guy. He's not the guy you would have said, he's a suicide risk, we need to watch him. I never even saw him drink. Uh, so that was, you know, that's what Ben's friends is trying to, in some small way, address. That it's okay to ask for help. That it's okay to not be okay. That's what Scott just said. Um, but it's okay to not be okay. Just to raise your hand and say, I am struggling. You know? And, uh, and I think, I don't know. I, I, we launched Seattle, 38 people showed up at the first meeting. So there's a need. Columbus, Ohio, there were 49 people at the first meeting. There's a need, and uh, you know, all we want to do is help. So with numbers like that of 38 people to the first meeting, 49 people to, to a first meeting, how are you getting the word out? So this is where the media and, and you know, listen, when, when you endeavor to open a restaurant, you're going to get reviewed. People are going to have an opinion. Uh, you can get your feelings hurt really quick. Um, and you can also feel like, you know, validated by the media. The media has been fantastic around this conversation. Uh, I mean, like, I, I cannot say it enough. From Bon Appetit to Wall Street Journal to every local paper, People want to have this conversation. So what we typically do is we reach out to the city that we're going to be launching in, and we just to the food editor, to whoever will listen. Uh, in Seattle, Eater, Eater picked it up, um, and and they do an article, and, and it's not an article with me. They interview the local chapters. Um, the media is really that, and social media has been. I mean, I'm blown. I mean, listen, to walk into a, and see 48 people in a room. I mean, it, it blows me away, but it really, I cannot say enough positive things about how the media has partnered and responded. Amy Scattergood at the LA Times, I've never met her, and she wrote 
this beautiful article about Ben's friends and suddenly now we're on the West Coast. We're in Portland, Seattle, Austin, Texas. So yeah, it's, it's really, when I say our industry is embracing it, it's everybody that touches our industry is embracing this and it's really awesome. Is it open to only to people in the restaurant in industry, the meetings? Um, we would never throw someone out, ever. Um, but but it's, it's for the industry. It, it, I mean, if you show up and you're a real estate agent, we're not going to tell you you're not welcome. But, but it's for the industry. The things, it, it, you know, there's just a language that we speak. That it, it's, and chefs speak an even different language than the one I speak. So, I mean, it, it's just different. It, uh, our meetings are focused on the industry, but we've, we have some musicians who, uh, there are a lot of parallels between our industry and, and the music industry, and there are a lot of the same struggles, and so they come often. And so everyone's welcome. But yeah, you, 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 if you're not in the industry, you might have to learn the language, but uh, everyone's welcome in our meeting. I think anybody who has any sort of involvement with alcohol on a regular basis is invited like musicians they're offered shots after shows um, people that work in a grocery store have to sell booze on a regular basis so there's always going to be that uh, constant conversation that they're having with themselves and more often than not that conversation is not going to go anywhere unless you're talking to someone else who's been through something very similar um. we are at uh we're at seven. Yeah, I want some of your beast too, man. I'm, I mean, you're, yeah. Starting I, why to get don't we sleepy. do this? Let's, um, okay, so we want to spread the word. All right. Why don't we just go through and uh, I guess we'll start here. Steve, tell us how they find you on Instagram or where, oh, yeah. where would people oh, yeah. find you to follow up and, and kind of keep up with what's been going on with. Sure. So Ben's Friends Hope.com is, is the website for Ben's Friends. I'm Steve Palmer, one, two. It's not that original. There's a lot of Steve Palmers in the world. Um, there's a soccer player and a musician. So and blah, at blah, blah, Steve Palmer, one, at two. At Steve Palmer, okay. one, two. Uh, there's Ben's Friends Raleigh has its own Instagram page. and um, So, yeah, Ben's Friends, uh, hope.com, Steve, at Steve Palmer, one, two, or at Ben's Friends Raleigh. We're so, here uh, at Crawford & Son every Sunday at 11 a.m., every Monday at 2 p.m. So you can find us here. And you'll obviously get Scott's newsletter or, or his Instagram already, so follow those. Um, we will be broadcasting this at ScheduleFly. I mean, our Instagram is at ScheduleFly. Um, our podcast, which we'll put it on, is called Restaurant Owners Uncorked, so it's on iTunes, so you can, you can find that there as well. Guys, do you all have anywhere you'd... Any social media or any mechanism that you'd like them to... Doesn't hurt. Yeah, no. Uh, my Instagram is uh, Zachary spelled like daiquiri underscore Thomas. Zachary so spelled like daiquiri. Spell daiquiri with a Z instead of a D. All right. Good deal. I'm just a normie. I just have a private account. <laughs> I hear you, man. Good for you. Good for you. Simple man. That's right. Keep it simple, brother. Y'all, uh, thank you very much for taking your time to do this, for sharing your, your stories, for being vulnerable, for standing up for, for Ben and all the folks that have been through that. And, uh, and thank you. For, for being here, everybody. Yeah. Gosh, thanks for doing this. And thanks Scott, for thanks your for interest in this topic. This is, awesome. is a, a, yeah, obviously this is a very important topic, and we appreciate that you are supporting us and that you're here tonight. 
I want to nourish you now. I want to feed you because I feel like I need to. That's what I do. <laughs> so if you'll just hang around, you can maybe talk with Steve, get a book signed. I'm going to serve you yeah, some Yeah, there's food. books. I don't have to sign them. I will sign them. But there's books for you. Take one if you feel compelled. 100% of my proceeds uh, from the book are going to Ben's friends, so you're supporting a good cause. Uh, and thanks. Thank so you much. very much. Thank you. Yeah.